0: underscore expressions on instagram enjoy the episode hey so we're gonna start this again i had to yeah doesn't matter we're gonna start this again but i just want to tell you guys thank you so much for helping the podcast grow um even after we ended our um You know, our season finale, we still had quite a few listens, and I appreciate that. But uh, you guys continue to go ahead and share, follow, and subscribe so your boy can become a household name, you know what I'm saying? Looking forward to trying to do that. I'm in my car as I normally am to record, and uh, we're going to get right into it. We're going to fast forward a little bit. Had a little bit of life happen, you know, the end of the year, we voted for Trump, or not Trump, we voted for or in Trump's mind we voted for Trump but even though Joe Biden won Kamala Harris became the first VP we had the insurrection that happened in January (sighs) a whole bunch of other life stuff happened but the most um, recent thing for me uh, that has kind of changed my life uh, you know pretty uh, pretty severely I should say uh, for lack of better word um is that my mom passed my mom passed february 1st of 2021 so you know um that sucks and uh you know we're nine days removed from her leaving uh in her physical form now she is in soul form i do believe that my mom is down looking back at me but we're gonna that's gonna be a part of the topic that i I will talk about but the the thing for my conversation moving forward Um, because I listened to Sean King and Sean King, you know, had, uh, you know, his book make change. uh, Basically it was like, what are you passionate about? What is something that you're passionate about that you find yourself talking about often? And, you know, at first I was like, Oh, I'd like to talk about everything. But um, I think the one thing that has been kind of omnipresent for me um recently you know especially with the passing of my mother is talking about family trauma and how that affects relationships that you have be it with your siblings most you know obvious um family other family members and your relationships that you you know get involved in um there are a lot of there's a lot of family trauma that i know i have um And I can't speak for my brothers and sisters, but, you know, they've gone through some of the similar things that I've gone through. So I know that it shows up in their life, too, just not in the capacity of how it shows up. Um, But, yeah, you know, a lot of that family trauma and hurt and pain and experience that they've that my siblings experienced definitely reared its ugly head while i was going through the process of you know taking care of my mom last final weeks of being alive and all that other stuff so but yeah you know first and foremost i want to you know make sure i acknowledge my mother yvonne garner yvonne price garner she was born 1950 january i'm sorry june 15th, 1950 and she passed away february first two thousand and uh 21 so the um the month of love so um she uh experienced 70 years of life here um you know she did have a tough life and i do believe that her being up in heaven she is renewed restored and a whole brand new person and that excites me but i miss the you know my mom you know being around me and my mother did not have a strained relationship but for most of my childhood and into my adult life and until her passing my mother did battle with um uh, mental health issues um and being a, a black you know family a lot of us is you know instead of it being explained like this is what mom has this is what she's going through it was really expressed as you know uh it's in her head you know something that if you don't pray enough, um, you know, it won't, um, if you don't pray it away, then you're going to be inflicted with this thing, which, you know, we'll kind of get more into later on. But, um, yeah, you know, I had the, um, experience of, you know, transitioning my mom from the hospital to hospice and having the responsibility of making sure that her transition went well. And also the after effect of, you know, having to, you know, see her transition and then, um, you know, set up how that's going to play out, too. So it's been tough. I'm going to have to pause this for a second. I'm going to have to come back to it. So um, I'll be right back here and then we'll finish up. So, yeah, um, at this point, you know, um, I mean, it's, it's really tough. I have to say it really is. It really is tough. Um, I, I obviously love my mom and I miss my mom and, you know, I was just stating on the, you know, previous recording cause I had to pause it for a little bit. Um, you know, the flip side of things or not flip side of things we're talking about, uh, family traumas and how that kind of informs your decisions and, you know, informs, you know, also influence relationships that you have, um, you know, just to kind of give you guys some context, you know, I was born to, uh, Yvonne Garner and, um, my dad, um, you know, in 1980, uh, December 17th, 1980, I don't mind sharing my birthday. I just had a birthday not too long ago, just turned 40. And, uh, you know, they were black parents raised in the South and, you know, not to put, you know, my dad out there because he's obviously responsible for his own story. This is mine. You know, when I was talking to him a little bit, you know, it was funny because nowadays us kids, us, you know, children uh, of the world, you know, one of the stories that we always tell, especially if we have a significant other, other is how it's filled with love. Or oh, I started to love him or love her, and so on and so forth. and when it came from my dad hearing my hearing the story of how him and my mom got together, it sounded as if it was more of a responsibility, you know for him not that not in the sense that he felt like he needed to save my mother, but in the sense that um in the sense that he had to... He felt that he needed to step up you know um he had talked to her uncle and uh my grandmother and you know my mom had mentioned to you know both of those uh that uh, you know both of her her mom and her uh uncle my grandmother and my great uncle would have been um you know the only person i'll be interested in marrying would marrying would be my dad so I think my mom, you know, may have <clears throat> felt that love or or something, um, and at this point, my mother had already had two children, my oldest brother and my um, oldest sister. So, you know, there could have been a, a sense of of uh, urgency there because of the the um, you know the stigma that came along with women back in the day having children out of wedlock and so on and so forth. But anyway, um, you can tell the sense of responsibility that my dad had and you know, um, very early on in his relationships through conversations previously, my dad had mentioned that my mother show showed signs of, um, of, uh, mental illness very early on. So for her, um, you know, for him, he was concerned and, you know, mental health wasn't dealt with the same way that it's dealt with now back then. So, you know, to him where he thought that this is strange this is out of you know out of the ordinary let me get some help he probably felt trapped or felt like he had nowhere else to go and that's understandable you know we've come come a long way in grips of you know conversation behind mental health especially as black folks and you still got some old heads and some young heads who've been you know uh, mentored by those old heads that feel like you know, mental illness is still something of the mind. So, you know, we we'll, we will go deeper into that as we continue the conversation of this season. But, you know, I, we now know that that's you know, mental health illness should be treated um, just like anything else. Um. So it was interesting to hear him tell the story. I'm not saying that there wasn't a point that my dad did not love my mother. I'm sure he did. It was just that stark difference between my relationship with Carlos and how I felt love and hearing my father say, well, your mom, you know, uh, had just had your sister and so on and so forth and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I, I found that to be interesting and, uh, you know, my mother, I think it, you know, she, she definitely had traumas in her life. Um, you know where you know unfortunately my grandmother um did take someone's life um and she almost killed my uh, my my uh, grandfather and uh she did spend a few years in jail my mother by the time you know she was maybe 8 or 9 had already lost her little brother who was 4 years old when he died um and i do believe that she's up there with both of her parents and you know um her brother so, and then, you know, being black in the fifties and sixties, you know, it was a lot of shit to go through, you know, I think it's amazing for anybody that is of that age. And that went through what we went through here in the South doesn't have some residual effects of PTSD. Um, you know, is amazing. Um, and, uh, for her to get through those odds and, and, you know be able to get married and have kids i know there was a lot on her plate and also also to have the you know not have a a, a, a stable you know home life i'm pretty sure it was a lot of pressure on her and just stories of you know my mom my mom did work um she worked at phoebe at one point which my sister both of my sisters at some point worked at phoebe you know jack uh my oldest sister as of recent and my youngest sister, um, a few times over over the period of her life, they've worked at Phoebe Putney. And Phoebe Putney is, if you were born in Albany, um, the only hospital you can be born at was at Phoebe Putney. So your birth certificate says Phoebe Putney on it. <laughs> so little fun fact about Albany, Georgia. I don't think uh, Paramara um, Medical Center or hospital exist anymore i think phoebe bought out or something like that but anyway um so there were you know my mom had you know her trials and tribulations and you know it's interesting just in one generation to kind of see my mom's story and see the but similarities between myself my story and her story you know um But she she definitely had a rough life, you know. My grandmother was probably one of the most emotionally unavailable people I had ever met. Um, My she's a sweetheart. My grandmother was, and I learned that a lot of what she did back in the day to me and to my brothers and sisters and my mom was, you know, what she felt that she had to do in order to survive. You know, and whereas, you know, growing up and having to endure some of the things my grandmother put on us, it felt mean and and and, and uh, uncaring, you know, but she was a part of that generation that was told you got to get over it. You know, they saw a lot of atrocities. They saw a lot of friends, you know, who died. And just because you care doesn't mean that that person you know, should live or, you know, they had some very strange, um, you know, things that they had to live through. So I get it. I get why my, my grandmother might not have been emotionally available to us as she was what she could have been, um, mostly because she wasn't taught that and, uh, she did the best that she could, you know, um, to keep us safe. And I would hope that looking at it now, looking down on us, her passing away, um, 18 years ago. She would have, she can look back at us and say, you know what? I did what I felt was best. I don't want her to feel any guilt. I mean, she's up there with the lower. So, you know, if I was able to have a conversation with my grandmother and, you know, she expressed to me maybe some concerns about, you know, how she did things, I would make sure she felt assured that she, looking back at it, I felt like it was probably what was necessary to keep a black boy uh, alive. You know what I'm saying? Um, necessary to keep a, 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 a black um, woman alive, my mom. You know, considering she saw my, um, you know, my my uh, uh, uncle pass away at a young age. You know, over you know blatant um, irresponsibility on the um, the babysitter's uh, part. I'm not gonna get into that, you know, right now. But you know, I'm pretty sure that had to have affected my mother. And, um, you know, so thinking about some of the things that I talked about that may have formed or influenced my mom into the adult she was, imagine having the responsibility of having four children, you know, on top of that, when she's really learning about herself and figuring herself out. I'm pretty sure it had to be tough. So, you know, her mental illness, you know, could be looked at as an escape. You know what I'm saying? it rid her of the responsibility of having to endure the stress and anguish and pain. And that's hindsight is 2020, right? You know, I'm not saying because I don't know my mom's story and she's not here to tell it. I'm only surmising, you know, what I, you know, what I know to be true. You know what I'm saying? I can imagine that my mother probably had it hard and I'm pretty sure there were moments of, of sadness for her not being able to care for her children in the way that she wanted to. And, uh, you know, that that had to be tough within itself, you know. And, uh, you know, again, like I said, I'm only surmising that, you know, it probably might have been for the best, you know, that my mom was in that mental capacity, because imagine being a mother who loves their children, not being able to take care of her children in the best way possible. Imagine that burden you know, on top of all the other things that could have, you know what I'm saying? That could have been going through my mom's mind. So, um, but unfortunately at eight years old, I lost my mother to mental illness. And I say at eight years old, because that's the last time that I remember, um, you know, my mother, you know, appearing somewhat normal. Um, there was a period in time, you know, when I was around eight years old, where my sister and I, um, my younger sister and I were partly um, homeless because of the condition my mom had had gotten, had deteriorated so much. Um, she had, you know, succumbed to the voices in her, her, her head and started to respond in ways that was unhealthy to both my sister and I. And, you know, I was eight and my sister's five years older than me. You know, my brother, you know, was 10 years older than me, so he was there a little bit and then my sister, you know, she, um, you know, unfortunately ran away uh, at, you know, that uh, the age of 14, you know, because of, you know, the situation between her and her, her and my mother. And, um, you know, it was, it was difficult for us, you know, it was difficult for us because we had to fend for ourselves, you know, as well as trying to find a place to stay. Um, I mean, we stayed in the house, but, you know. You know, we weren't getting taken care of in that way from my mom, but she didn't have the mental capacity. And it took a little bit before my father actually, you know, found out. I don't even remember how he found out. But um, also with that, you know, I remember getting um, interviewed by Child Protective Services one of, by one of the family members or by uh, interviewed by... Um, Child Protective Services um, because a family that we were living with the mom, you know, obviously went to to them and kind of explained to them the situation and I remember them interviewing and asking us, my sister and I questions about the condition my mom was in so I remember you know, shortly thereafter, my dad then coming into the picture to, you know, to have sole custody of us and then you know, us being put into, um, uh, pasta care for a bit. And I remember them asking us where they wanted, where we wanted to go. And it was a choice either to be with my grandmother or with my dad. And you know, at this point I knew my grandmother wasn't to be fucked with. So I was like, my dad, please. And my sister also said the same thing. So that's where they put us. And, uh, my mom, uh, my grandmother had custody of my, or was guardianship of my mother, you know, at that time. Um, but we, that was the, I mean, we had already experienced what it would have been like had we, you know, stay with our mother and, you know, my grandmother was really an extension of my mom, not because of the mental illness, but just because my mom would have been in the picture. Um, at least at that time, I mean, I don't really remember specifics, but I remember, um, the one specific of, of being asked if I wanted to go with my mother, uh, my grandmother or my dad, and we chose our dad so um yeah we we were in uh, foster care for a couple years or not a couple years but maybe a month or so i don't remember specifically but i remember the house i still remember where the houses were in sand dunes and the other one was on uh uh Radiant springs turning into i think it's broadway so on the you know Radiant springs is on the right hand side left hand side is broadway so if you kept straight on broadway um i can tell you i can show you exactly what a house is and that's crazy because i still remember that and um you know um so we went through that and then you know as as we aged you know just the the normal you know teen and you know child angst that you go through um and uh you know uh, somewhat feeling unwanted a bit um Um, Because my stepmother was probably not the nicest. I mean, at least to my experience at that time. And, um, you know, I'm not going to... I don't want to get into specifics with that because I don't know the reasons why she did the things that she did. But, um, unfortunately, you know, it wasn't a very good experience for me. And then, you know, when I turned 14, I went back to my grandmother's, uh, place, you know, my grandmother maintained, uh, got custody of me and my, um, well, me at 14, um, until I was about 18. So, you know, these are things that, you know, I've, I've, I am working on and continue to work on, you know, throughout my life because of how heavy they are. I mean, it, it doesn't go away because you don't think about it anymore. And that's one thing that I hate about, in the black community that we're willing to stifle ourselves and stifle growth and stifle, um, you know, the, the, the freedom we could have by, you know, not telling our story. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's difficult for me to see, you know, people swallow their story because it feels uncomfortable to themselves or it feels, you know, they have so much happiness now that they shouldn't remember the past. But as I tell a lot of people that I mentor or talk to is that it's like a rug. Eventually, if you keep sweeping the dirt under the rug, it's going to become high enough to where you can see what's under the rug. You know, it isn't one of those things that eventually will go away because you don't think about it anymore. It, maintains and it goes back to my point of reinforming those themes that you may have you know one of the things that I might have felt you know going through what I went through would be abandonment so that could play out in terms of me clinging to people who might not have necessarily been the most um helpful or impactful in my life um longer than I should have, you know, because I didn't want to feel the 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 sense of abandonment or the sense of being alone or you know the sense of being um by myself for whatever reason you know and that's that's if you don't deal with those type of themes, those things that happen in your life, you'll notice and I have noticed that you will be in a perpetual cycle of that particular situation happening in your life. You'll find that you'll be abandoned, not that you cause it to happen, but because you don't know directly what things caused what things you could have done that caused this to end up pushing that person away. And I hope this is making sense. And, you know, because I'm, again, when I'm saying this stuff, I'm saying it to myself, you know, and I'm thinking about this uh, as a person who's gone through it, not somebody who's an expert on this because I'm not, you know, I I don't have a degree. I don't have, you know, a, a special certification based on, this. This is just my experience and analyzing it today with today's mind and the knowledge that I've grown to to learn over just life experiences and also being in therapy, you know, the amount of time that I have been, you know, so that definitely influenced my relationships, you know, for sure, because of it. And um you know, it wouldn't be fair to myself if I denied number one myself of being able to work through that trauma and number two, you know denied myself the ability to actually accept that you know I have an issue with abandonment. you know I think I noticed that very early on in my uh, when I started to go into therapy. I started therapy when I was about 25, 26 years old. I remember, you know, living in California and, uh, you know, getting, you know, the, the free sessions through my, uh, employee readiness group, uh, resource group, you know, at the time and then kind of digging into it. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a journey. It's definitely been a journey. So I'm going to pause it right here and give myself a moment to kind of listen back. And, you know, I do want to kind of go a little, further into my story because i think it's important for you guys to understand so we can really kind of grasp the the idea of you know of being being free of these things so we can be the best person so i can be the best person i can be right so i'll talk to you guys soon You know, um, and recognizing those things doesn't mean that you're weak. It doesn't mean that I'm weak with bringing them to the forefront. It's 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 allowing myself to be aware of these things so I can try to work on them. You know, one of the things I will tell you, and I even noticed this because you know Carlos goes to therapy too, is sometimes when you open Pandora's box, it feels like you start going through these things you start remembering how you felt and you start remembering the, the stress and the anguish that it brought you you start to kind of feel like well shit is it worth me going through all of this that I'm feeling to find a bit of happiness in it and that's a real valid point to make and my honest opinion is that yes it does it does you know Um, Because it becomes easier for you to recognize when you're in these states um, where you're not making the best decision based on an experience that you had because it feels similar. Or, you know, like I heard yesterday, um, uh, Megan Good said, uh, you know, sometimes we pick the stuff that we do, you know, the same behaviors because we're used to it. You know, it feels it feels, you know, normal for us we're used to it and we're used to you know this decision because it's the easiest to make and we know that this is tried and true and we understand that you know this is going to get us to the the easy um feeling of of um you know getting away from the hurt and pain so um yeah i think it's i ultimately think it's worth going through the stress um going through the anguish so you can come out on the other side better better of it you know i don't know how many times i've gone to therapy about my anxiety i've had anxiety for over 15 years now um 15 yeah over 15 years now and it really didn't start clicking until now you know before i was just living uh, my life with anxiety and i would do the quick fixes to try to get over it but when it came to noticing the signs and figuring out what my trigger was i didn't learn that stuff until a year ago you know and uh you know it was it was very going through it then you know it was very exhausting and i probably wish that i had the tools then you know even though i was going to therapy i wasn't properly um you know assessing it as as best as i could have you know um which kept me in that perpetual cycle of being stressed and being anxious and being all these other things um you know other than you know what well, just dealing with my anxiety instead of living with it you know what i'm saying and what i mean de- dealing with it is being retroactive so taking an extra pill you know after i've been anxious for 12 hours or you know um stressing you know stressing myself out continuing to um you know, focus on the the negative narrative that could, keeps me in that that anxiety uh, induced state. You know, so I think it's worth it. I personally think that is it's worth the 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 hard work. I mean, just like anything you want in life, you know, you want to be able to 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 strive for it. It doesn't come with just the the one acknowledgement. You have to continue to to. to create and hone your craft same thing with this you have to continue to to recognize new triggers as you go on um as i know that anxiety is probably going to be something that i will deal with for the rest of my life but how i deal with it doesn't have to define how i how it shows up you know so um some themes of not feeling wanted you know what I'm saying? I, I I think that that played out a lot in my life. You know, I remember, you know, uh, a few relationships where the person that I was with was not the the best person. But because they didn't desire me in a way that I, I, I wanted them to desire me or I didn't feel wanted, I found myself trying to cling to that relationship, too. And they might have been toxic for me, you know. Um, and... You know, not a, not aligning and understanding that you know I, I deserve better for myself. You know, the one uh, the 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 worst thing about our mind and how we um, have a tendency to um, compartmentalize things. Um, it's interesting to me how we sometimes justify things that doesn't necessarily make sense to the naked eye. We know it doesn't make sense, but yet we continue to convince ourselves that in my mind, I don't give a, I don't care about what other people think. I don't give a fuck about what people think. This makes sense to me and I don't care, you know? And, you know, to you, you might feel like that's a sense of empowerment and, you know, at the time it may be, but what it is, is defiant. It's defiant of you allowing yourself A space of feeling better and being able to revel in the possible happiness. I mean, no one wants to be alone. No one wants to feel unwanted. Those are undesirable things to feel. But in reality, if you take the time to, you know, uh, to get to know yourself and, you know, seek therapy or have, you know, you know, seek therapy. I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to sugarcoat it anymore because sometimes I I, when it comes to therapy, I kind of tell people, well, whatever your journey is, I don't necessarily think that's true. I don't think if you had I think I honestly and truly believe that if you don't have the right tools in place or have, you know, somebody that has an unbiased um, opinion about life, about your life, you're not going to be able to, you know, it's it's not going to work. You might have friends who may have unbiased decisions but the thing about that is is they know you so they know what what things are effective in terms of getting you to see what may not necessarily be something that you would know you know that you would see right off the bat and what that comes with some filtering you know and that that isn't the best way to assess things sometimes you just need raw unadulterated um, access to, you know, what's in your mind, you know what I'm saying? Because your friends and your mind, you know, also are, they're designed to filter things to make it understandable for you. And that's not always the best thing, you know? So I say all that to say, I'm a big advocate for therapy. I am not denying that no more. And I'm gonna be straight up and honest with y'all. I'm a big advocate for therapy. So you're gonna hear... My story uh, that we'll talk about getting therapy, having those conversations more often than not, I have people who you know will denounce therapy for the sole purpose of I don't want just anybody knowing my business but in reality, we go and we show we share our business to people who we think we know and that we think we love and they go and they tell everybody and we conveniently feel disappointed when they do you know it's like you can't expect the same things to you know what they say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over expecting different results that is true it's 100 percent true so we have to you know be real with ourselves and understand that you know i've done it this way for so long and it doesn't necessarily work this way so let me be open to other things you know what i find nine times out of ten When people have therapy sessions, they think that it's a one-size-fits-all type thing. You know, I mean, we're at a different point in life where therapy isn't um, administered by an old white lady who's 60 years old who has a whole bunch of life experiences. You know, therapy can come in many different forms, you know, especially in the Black community. You know, identifying with someone who, you know, who has known, known the struggle and understands you know what it means to struggle and understand how it feels to struggle. You know, that may be something that's important to you. Now, I'm telling y'all the truth about my therapist. My therapist is a, a a white man that's probably a couple years older than I am, you know, um, uh, or younger. I don't know, up or down. Um, he is, you know, the whitest of whitery, <laughs> as uh, Amanda Sills would say. And, you know, most importantly, You know, uh, the thing that that I desire the most is that when I make a suggestion in terms of something that I feel or need or whatever, he's willing to adjust immediately. And part of that could have been because I didn't, you know, have that access that a lot of people nowadays have, which is to have someone who, you know, look and and thinks and looks, you know, uh, feels like you. You know, who can kind of go to the same experiences that you went to? I mean, that wasn't, I started in 2006, you know, when I started going to therapy. The first therapist I had was a black woman with dreads, you know, it was very stoic. The second therapist I had was a white lady who, you know, um, looking back at it now with the eyes that I looked at, felt that she knew better than me about the life that I was living, you know. So even though, you know, I had a few sessions, It got to a point where I can tell that there was a a disconnect between us, and I ended up stopping, uh, stopped going to therapy. And then I didn't pick it up for a few years until I moved to Orlando um, again until 2014. And I've had the gentleman that I've had for quite some time. You know, I was linked up through the VA, and, uh, you know, it was kind of like, hey, this is the therapist that we had available. And then over time, we began a relationship that is now probably about four or five years coming. And, uh, you know, he, you know, um, I would say over the years of me, you know, becoming the person that I am today, I probably did get a lot of like, you know, being told and and stuff like that, you know, about how to, not not being told how to feel, scratch that, a lot of him ministering to me as opposed to, you know, laying in the trenches, you know, going through that thought process, and, uh, thought process and saying, hey, maybe there's another way that we can look at this. You know, until recently, you know, when I had my uh, anxiety uh, issue a couple months ago, um, I, he and I had, a uh, it wasn't a falling out because it wasn't, it's not that kind of relationship. But I had to check him where I had to say to him that, You know your decision to do what you did made was simply because you felt that you knew better than me than i do about me and that's not nah we're not doing that no more i shared with you this this and this and you felt that the best course of action was this and i i said that i wasn't ready for that and after that he kind of readjusted a little bit and uh you know you 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 gotta be willing to have that conversation just like your relationship with people can change over time your relationship with your therapist and your professionals in your life life coach whatever you want to call they can change too so it's okay to reevaluate what that social contract or that terms and conditions of y'all relationship is so don't ever feel like it's not your place to say hey things have changed for me it is especially when you are involved so you know and i say that unequivocally you know what i'm saying I didn't always have that confidence until I had to have that confidence in this particular situation. And it was, I feel better as a result of it. Cause again, he had to adjust and it may have been uncomfortable and it might've changed how he decided to do things going forward. But at least he knew with me that that shit wasn't going to fly, you know? Um, and maybe one of these days I'll share with you guys kind of what it was and what it is I'm talking about without kind of generically going over it. But you know, it's not imperative to the story is what I'm trying to say. Um, But, yes, I am an advocate for therapy. There's no hiding that. And I will always push in my narrative that therapy is something that everybody should look into. No matter how uncomfortable it makes you feel, push past it. Because I promise you, (coughs) you will feel better as a result of it. It's a straight up honest truth. So, um, but yeah, I mean, other things I think I, I, you know that popped up in my life is my relationship with, with males. You know, I, you know, in the very beginning of my life, you know, unfortunately there wasn't a lot of male influence. You know, my father was there, but it was more of a domineering relationship, which probably made me, you know, kind of, you know, uh, turn away from, from, you know, having that type of influence in my life because, you know, it didn't feel good to me. You know, my dad, was really just pushing down the, the the things that he learned in terms of what it meant to be a man and boys will be boys and don't cry and all the other unnecessary tropes that you know I'm I'm learning to unbreak now or core values that uh, have kind of become a part of me. Um, but uh, yeah, you know I at the end of the day um, identify that you know my. Uh, because of my, my relationship, um, you know, to, to my father is probably what had me resistant to maintaining relationships with men. You know, I also had, um, uh, things of, of, uh, of declaring honesty, you know, about things, you know, unfortunately when I was younger, um, and I've shared this with my dad, so it isn't like something that I'm like, you know, spilling the tea or, you know, trying to be salacious about. But when I was younger, you know, my dad. My dad had six other kids. Three of them were out of wedlock. Or, no, not six other kids. Three other children. Three of them were out of wedlock. One in the middle of my sister and I, and then two that was after me. So, there we go. Those of you who know me know that. Right. But at a very young age, I remember seeing these things happen with my father and women that were not my father. And my dad saying to me, don't tell, don't say anything, don't say anything. And for a long time, you know, I obviously held those burdens, which I think has definitely impacted my anxiety probably is a trigger for me. But imagine being two years old, you know, being held to secrecy about something you don't even necessarily understand, but know it's wrong. You know what I'm saying? Imagine that. Imagine that as a kid, having to process that. So as a result, I became... I'm sorry, y'all, about my nose stuff. I became... Very, uh, invested in the truth, if you will, almost to a fault. You know what I'm saying? Almost revealing the truth, you know, to an extent where it might have harmed myself. You know, not being able to notice the, you know, the times and understand that this is a time that I, not maybe that I should not be honest, that maybe I should kind of tailor the honesty to that person and it not being rooted in something as like, aha, I gotcha kind of thing, you know? Um, you know, there were times where I would hold against the people like you said that this was the way that it was going to be. And because you weren't truthful, I don't want to be your friend anymore. When in reality, it might've just been a big, big misunderstanding. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I've learned that, you know, sometimes when you're honest to people, they have the choice to either take that honesty and mend whatever thing it is you're trying to mend, or they can take that honesty and say, fuck that. I'm not really rocking with you no more. You know what I'm saying? As opposed to me just being true to myself, you know, um, and considering the situation and the, the person I have at hand, you know. Um, it was it's very, very um it was a very very uh um very very weird uh experience to have. And you know, that manifested itself in, in in a multitude of ways where I ended relationships because I felt like people were lying or you're lying. It was easy for me to call a person a liar because some of the things that might not have, you know, been, uh, um, honest to me, you know, um, could have been, you know, impacted my decision to end that relationship with people. Now, I do believe that reason, season, lifetime, people, you know, have a tendency to, um, you know that people are here for reasons, seasons, lifetime. So I'm sure they had a, a part in, in that relationship maybe ending. But I think I could have I think I might have judged harshly um because of my uh experience with you know, having to stifle the truth or hold the truth, you know, because of the experiences that I went through my dad, you know. I mean it's it's it it it's it, my dad was a philanderer my dad did what a lot of men felt their masculinity was uh, dipped into which was you know to have multiple tropes i don't know how many men i knew growing up that had multiple kids by multiple women and how that was the sense of pride you know what i'm saying but me being a, a product of that and understanding And knowing that my dad's time is being divided up to other people that I I don't even know are my brothers and sisters and didn't really have a choice into becoming my brothers and sisters, you know, with other mothers. And, you know, that I know I I could tell that it was unfair to me, you know, Um, and my dad was just reveling in something that he felt was, you know, the way to live back then. So, um, yeah. And, you know, coming to grips with that in my adult life, I think has allowed me to understand that everybody's different and not everybody live by the same creed or code that I do. And I have to allow for some grace and, 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 and understanding when it comes to that. You know, I mean, if somebody blatantly like lie to me and I know that it was malicious, then yeah, I'm probably gonna cut it, you know, quickly. But if it was just a misunderstanding and not a lie, I may be more apt to you know, trying to understand why rather than just shutting it down. So, um, and, uh, that's really it. So I think I fleshed out some things, you know, I know I, I have a little bit more to go deeper into. One of these days I am going to have a discussion about the experience that I had with my mother transitioning in a deeper conversation. Um, because I feel like it's necessary, you know, for me to kind of get that out and it also be a learning tool for others, you know, so you can try to recognize these things, you know, if you ever find yourself in these situations, but, um, I think, uh, I think I, I think I'm good, um, I want to say that my hiatus lasted longer than I wanted it to. Um, there were a few times at the beginning of the year I wanted to start it, but it was just so many things that happened that I wasn't in the right space. And then, you know, when my mother uh, passed away, it just, you know, felt heavy. And um, I started to notice a little bit, you know, I was listening to Sean King, and I think I might have mentioned this uh, a little bit earlier. But I was listening to Sean King, and one of the things that he said that reveled with me in the book, uh, Make Change, was... You know, think about something you're passionate about. Think about something that you can find yourself talking about. You don't necessarily have to be an expert. You don't necessarily have to be someone who is great in that. You just have to align yourself with people who, who uh, you know, who are experts in that and who can mentor you. You know, finding a mentor and finding somebody who can advise you. And I think that, you know, talking out family themes or, you know, family traumas or traumas that have happened in your life. It's something that I feel like I'm called to do. And I found myself flowing easily with this conversation because it it interests me, you know, because I don't know how many times I had conversations with, you know, my brothers and sisters, you know, especially during this whole situation with my mom thinking like, damn, dad, what you're arguing about, arguing about doesn't sound like it's me. Like, it doesn't sound like you're mad at me, like you're talking through something. And because I know that, I understand that you want to get this out. But what I was doing is really stifling myself from being able to have an authentic experience, you know, uh, because of wanting to make sure that they get it out, you know, almost to a point where I saw myself being a um, punching bag, you know, and I still feel that way. You know, because unfortunately, my brothers and sisters have not gotten to the point of therapy. Or if they did, they did it for a little bit and they stopped because it started feeling uncomfortable, you know. Um, and that's fine. But what I've learned to to kind of cipher through and kind of sort through as that experience has happened is that at the end of the day, I still have to look out for me. Like uh, Kiki Palmer said on The Breakfast Club, if I ain't down for nobody, I got to be down for me. And that's truthful. And that's the straight up honest truth. And that's where this I'm able to do this uh, and have this conversation because I'm remembering that now. All right. So I say all that to say thank you guys for listening. I appreciate your honesty and kindness throughout, you know, social media with having this conversation and listening and, 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 you know, being there for me in ways that you guys could never understand. And I'm, you know, putting words to power and letting you guys know that I thank you so much. And that I understand that this journey is not going to be the easiest. And I understand that this journey is going to take me to places. And it may be uncomfortable for some. But at this point, I'm choosing me in this uh, situation. And I I, I say that with the hopes that I'm able to help others with maybe, you know, telling my story. And them seeing similarities in this and maybe seeking, you know, a way to go get help, you know? So, I mean, that's all I could uh, hope for, wish for, and pray for, all right? So you guys enjoy the rest of your day. I appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe, most importantly, share and like, uh, and help me bring this thing home. I feel renewed. I feel that I'm in a space where I am, you know, becoming more comfortable and You know, sharing my story and owning, you know, my place in this. So, thank you guys so much. Enjoy the rest of your day and catch me on the flip side. I don't know when the next uh, uh, episode is going to be, but I'm back now and let everybody know that your boy's back. All right. Enjoy the rest of your day, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Reggie's expression. Ow!